Alright, we are uh, again uh, going to uh, look at the book of Nehemiah and uh, work on some things here. Braden's going to lead us in a prayer before we start. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our Father, we come before you now thanking you so much for this beautiful day that you have blessed us with. Father, we thank you for this day. You give us to be able to study your word, Father, and uh, be able to hopefully, Father, gain more knowledge in just a minute. Father, we pray that at this hour, that Gary, please come present to us that he present in a clear and understandable way. Uh, now we might uh, apply what he says to our everyday lives, and Father, that we meditate on. And we ask you that you watch over us and keep us safe for the remainder of this week. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we've got this situation with the walls. We have Nehemiah gaining the permission from King Artaxerxes to go back to the city uh, where his fathers were buried and work on the wall. He gets there with uh, uh, the accompaniment of uh, an armed escort. And he inspects the walls by night without telling anybody what he was doing. So that before he starts trying to uh, encourage people to get involved with the rebuilding project, he really knows exactly what the situation is and what it's going to take to build it. And then he addresses the people and he says, let's rise up and build. You know, we've got this bad situation. He reports the situation very much in the words that he had actually heard at first from Hananiah's brother. And... Um, that's, uh, that's popular with the uh, people, and we're going to see in the course of the book of Nehemiah uh, how that goes, including what we see tonight. But there's also enemies, and they don't like it one little bit that Nehemiah has got, come back to seek the welfare of his nation. They were hoping Jerusalem would always be a defenseless city. So that's where we uh, stopped, and uh, what we see in chapter 3 is, is kind of unusual. If you just glance through chapter 3, what do you think? Glance at chapter 3 there and what do you see? A bunch of names. A bunch of names. How do you guys feel about chapters with a bunch of names? Hard. Hard. Yeah. What do you usually do with the chapters that have a bunch of names? Skip them. Not always a bad idea, I might say, but, but uh, you know, there's got to be some reason you know, chapters with bunches of names are in the Bible, don't you think? So maybe better than skipping would be to actually try to understand this. Now, what we've got here, Nehemiah wants to get the wall rebuilt around Jerusalem. He could have just picked up some tools and started building. <laughs> there is a better way. What's the better way? Yeah. Getting more people involved, dividing up the workload, uh, and kind of assigning different jobs, delegating different duties, parts of the wall to work on, and so forth. I mean, really, can't you get more done if a lot of people work together than if one person works alone? I mean, if they, if they work, they're willing to do the right kind of job. I mean, you know, can you imagine what it would be like in a factory? If you had one supervisor who operated all the machines, while uh, the other 50 workers come together three times a week to hear him lecture on some phase of production, sometimes that's a lot like our churches, isn't it? 
But uh, that's that you works better if everybody works in the factory. You know, you want you want to divide up the responsibility. So that's what he does. Basically, Nehemiah divides the workforce of Israelites up into basically about forty work crews, as far as we can tell here. Uh, there may be more. There are some indications that we may not have even a complete list here of all the groups that worked on the wall. And basically, he assigns each group a place to work. You know, so they kind of divide up around the wall, and everybody is building or repairing some particular place. Now, as he tells this story, here in chapter 3, he's going to start on the northeast corner and kind of work counterclockwise telling about who built what parts of the wall. And they worked on the basis of sometimes family associations, sometimes district associations, sometimes by their profession. There was various ways of grouping these people. And uh, they rebuild not only walls, but gates. The gates are, of course, very important. Uh, and there are eight main gates he speaks of here. And uh, there are times you'll notice as we read this that he will say they rebuilt or built and sometimes he'll say they repaired. It appears to me that there are places where they pretty much have to start from scratch. They don't really have any wall to start with. And other places where they can begin with some wall, probably not up very high or has to be, you know, maybe fortified in some way and then continue uh, building from there. Uh, so, so, and Nehemiah, of course, would know. Uh, I'm guessing he might have even taken notes on that trip around, or at least he remembered it well. And so, you know, you've just got different sections that may need different kinds of things. So, I'd like for us to read this. Uh, that's a little a bit of a debatable thing. But some of you like to read names, uh, if not uh, campers, counselors, or whatever. So if you like to read names, that's what you're going to be doing. So uh, we start with the north wall. Would somebody read verses 1 to 5? Okay, now we start at which gate? Sheep gate. That's an odd name for a gate, don't you think? Why would you call a gate the sheep gate? Maybe sheep went through it. Why would you have a gate that sheep would go through in Jerusalem? Okay, you, could, you don't have to raise your hands. Just talk. It would lead to could be, but I bet the sheep were kept in the pasture lands. I doubt that they brought them in. But I bet it's for sacrifices. That's my guess. And uh, if that's the case, it may be interesting that at least the telling of this starts with the sheep gate, kind of putting God first. And uh, it's interesting, who was it that works on the sheep gate? The high priest Eliashib and his brothers, the priests. 
that would also be an indication to me that this may be a gate where they brought the sacrificial sheep through. Is it surprising to you that the high priest actually worked on one of the gates? Would you have expected that really? No. What do the high priests do? They pray to God and they offer sacrifice. They got a job to do already. So that's interesting that he didn't have the attitude, you know, I only do sacrifices, I don't do construction. Now, some of us might have that attitude, you know, oh, that's not for me, you know, I don't do that kind of work, you know, uh, kind of almost like, you know, I've got important things to do, you know, I'm not going to get busy building a wall. But leaders ought to do something. We, you know, you may be a high priest, but the wall needs to be rebuilt. And uh, that includes the sheep gate. Notice also, what did they do with the sheep gate? They consecrated it. They don't say that often through here. That's another thing that makes me think. This may be a gate where they brought the sacrificial animals, and so they consecrate that. Perhaps as a means of dedicating it to the bringing of animals for sacrifice in. So it looks to me like that's where we begin. With Eliashib the high priest, his brothers the priests, building the sheep gate and consecrating it. And then we start coming around and we see people from Jericho and, and various other people. And we see some other, see a couple of towers, we see the fish gate. You know, and we come on around, and finally we come to verse 5, where he says, Moreover, next to him the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. So it looks to me like the Tekoites were working, but like the leaders of the city of Tekoa weren't helping them. You know, that maybe they were like important aristocrats that didn't get their hands dirty with manual labor. It encourages me that the people in this city did work even if their leaders didn't lead them to do it. You know, sometimes we may say, well, you know, the, the leadership in the church where I am, we, they, don't, they don't promote that kind of thing. They don't lead us in doing that. Well, that doesn't necessarily keep us from doing the work of the Lord just because they aren't doing that. So you have to appreciate the Tekoites' willingness to act even without their leaders in building on the wall. We'll see a surprise about them a little later as well. But right here, that's a good attitude on their part. Comments and questions on those first five verses. Michael. They were people from the city of Tekoa, I'm assuming. I don't know anything besides that. Yeah. Yes? I was just looking, it seems that the Sheep Gate is one of the closest gates to the temple. Uh-huh. So it would be a logical place for the sacrifice to come through. William? Is it possible that this was the same family that Amos was from? So that could be, of course, this is not the sheep gate now by the time we're over there, but still it would be perhaps at least townsmen from where Amos was from. Yeah. Yes, Steve. Do you have any comment on the, on the textual variant, verse 5, uh, their nobles were not stooped to serve their Lord, capital L. ESV has, like, interprets that as being the Lord um, as opposed to their masters or their lords. I don't have a comment on that. Does anybody know anything about that? Anything else? I may or may not know the answers, but uh, if anybody else does on questions I don't, feel free to chime in. 
Alright, so that was the north wall. You had basically about eight groups that at least he mentions on the north wall. Now let's go down the west wall, 6 to 13. Jeriel. Joida, the son of Hasseth, and Melisham, Melishalam, the son of Bethsaida, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its door, its bolts, and its bars. To what? To 13. Okay. And next to them repaired Malachi, the Gibbonite, and Jada, Jadon, the Maranahite, the men of Gideon and Mitzah, the seat of the governor and the province beyond the river. Next to them, Yaziel, the son of Harai, Goldsman's repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephahai, the son of the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Judiah, the son of Haram, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatesh, the son of Hash, of repaired. Baal, the son of Haram, and Hash, Hashab, the son of Pathamoad, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughter. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it, they rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired so you've got about 10 different groups here, and they're going down the west wall. Uh, notice, for example, in verse 8, they uh, work on the broad gate. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a more vulnerable area, and perhaps it needed to be thicker than the other walls. Uh, notice also in verse 8, you've got goldsmiths making repairs, and you have perfumers making repairs. I would think, again, it would be easy as a goldsmith or a perfumer to think, I've got an important job. I'm not skilled in construction. That's not my area of expertise. Let somebody else do it. So I'm encouraged by the fact that even goldsmiths, we're working together on a part of the wall. This is a project for everybody. Notice in verse uh, 11, Malkijah uh, worked, and he apparently, in Ezra 10.31, was one of the ones that had married a foreign wife and put her away. So he may have been redeeming himself and showing his willingness to work here. Notice also that it talks about repairing another section. There were several groups who did double duty. They worked on a section, and then they did another section. Now, there were some of those cases where it says they did another section that we don't read about the first section. So that gives me an idea that this is probably not even a complete list, even here. But isn't that encouraging that there were some who didn't just get done with their section and say, okay, I finished mine. <laughs> they were willing to pitch in and, and work on another section, too. I mean, there's a difference between 
the idea of doing something because you have to and doing something because you want to. You see that idea? I mean, there are, are things that you may uh, get asked to do that you really like. You know, what happens if you're a... Any of you... This is the Northeast, I don't know. How many of you like amusement parks? Yeah, most of you. How many of you have never been to an amusement park? Okay. So most of you like them. If you don't like them, think about something else. What if your parents were to take you to an amusement park? And they say, uh, listen, we're going to stay for three hours. And so, uh, you know, about 10 o'clock, uh, we, we need to leave. And it gets to be nearly 10 o'clock, and they say, well, we're sorry to tell you this, but we've decided we're going to stay another couple of hours. How are you going to feel about that? Yeah. If you like amusement parks, you don't find that to be a downer. You're glad for the chance to ride some more rides. You know, that's not really bad news. You know, there are things that we can do that we hold our nose and do them, but we hate them every moment. We can't wait for it to get done. Maybe for some of you, school is like that. There's other things that we really love doing, and we'd be thrilled if we got a chance to do more of it. You know, uh, sports, or the amusement park, or whatever it is for you. Now, how do you feel about things that are the work of God? Are they things that you're eager to do more? You know, you're excited when you have a further opportunity? Or is it things where you're holding your nose and just trying to get done with your duty so you don't have to do any more? You know, that, I think that really helps us think about how much we love God. I don't assume that there was some requirement that these people had to work on another section. That would be something you'd volunteer for. You'd want to. They wanted to get that wall rebuilt. They wanted God's house to be protected. They were enthusiastic in sharing in that work. So that's encouraging to me. I'm also encouraged in verse 12. What did you notice unusual in verse 12? His daughters. I assume there were probably other cases where the women worked along with the men, but this one is explicitly stated, he and his daughters. There was work for them as well. They weren't too dainty to get involved in the work of the construction or whatever. It's just encouraging to see so many groups pitching in, wanting to help, doing all they could to get the wall rebuilt. Comments and questions? Okay. Anybody got one? I can always see hands in here. There's a lot of weirdness in the background. Yes, yeah. I kind of feel like about this camp in a sense. You know, everyone doing different jobs. I think it's interesting you even have guys in there in the kitchen. You know, not necessarily a job that we think is a man's job, but they're pushing in because they can do the And same thing with other, you know, guys here. I feel like each one of us has the work to do. And so this is kind of a small example of that. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and people volunteer to do things they care about and they want to do. It may not be fun. I would assume working in the kitchen is not exactly, you know, great fun. Uh, I worked in the kitchen at Dove Camp for the first time I've ever done something like that. And I was glad to do it. I wanted to help in that. But it wasn't exactly like the most enjoyable thing I've ever done. Cooking is not quite up my alley. So, uh, but, but you're glad to do it when you care about it. And you want to participate. There's two thoughts along the lines. One is the fact that it's the daughters, like you mentioned, is a 
ought to be a strong lesson for us not to underestimate maybe little sisters, you know, other young ladies in the congregation. Uh, you know, there's a lot of events where guys will get together for this, that, or the other, but the, the young ladies are sometimes very good at talking to people about the gospel and helping in different ways. And the woman's place is in the home, in the kitchen, uh, is a popular phrase. So I like it when women in the kitchen because they can food. But there's a lot of good that they can do for the gospel. Um, I forget who it was, that first sermon, the first time I heard the sermon on uh, Mary being the apostle to the apostles. Uh, you know, the, the Lord used a lot of women in different ways. Uh, so we ought not to undervalue them and think carefully about the good that they are doing. Good point. And then yes. as far as the kitchen staff, I don't think we could get them out of there. Uh, because they believe in the cause, and it's very hard work, but they are all working together. And they really like being with each other, just like this group that we're reading about in Nehemiah 3 the Pierce. Yeah, you know, when you believe in a cause, you can actually come to enjoy things you didn't otherwise enjoy. You know, because of your attitude toward it. I mean, some things, whether you like it or not, you know, it's kind of amazing. There are some things that you get paid for, and other people would do it for free. They like to do it. Remember Tom Sawyer and whitewashing the fence? You know, once he got to where he was charging people for the chance to whitewash it for him, they got to where they wanted it. They were, they were, they were excited about the chance. Wasn't that funny? How that, but it's all in your mind. You know, whether or not this is something you like or something you don't like is largely mental. It's largely how we want to look at it. So good points, good thoughts. Anything else? Okay. Yes, Steve. That phrase that comes up over and over is and next to them, and next to them, yes, and next to them. There's such an emphasis on together. Yes. Yes, this is very much a cooperative project. Uh, you need that wall actually to connect up too. You know, <laughs> won't do a lot of good if it doesn't do that. So, all right. Now we've got the uh, south wall, fourteen and fifteen. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakerem, repaired the refuse gate. He filled it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shalom, the son of Kolhosa, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, and hung it towards with its bolts and bars. And the wall of the pool of Sheila, the king's garden, as far as the steps that descend from the city of, from the city of David. Okay, so you've got a couple of gangs here on the south. We're not always sure about all this and exactly where they were. But the pictures I've seen show the wall being much longer like the east side and the west side than that little south strip. So it may be there wasn't much on that southern part of the wall from what I've read. And then we've got a long section for the east wall. Uh, so if you, if you are, want to and like to read a bunch of names, then 16 to 32.
Okay, so we have lots more groups, about 21 more groups making repairs here. Some of them were Levites, like in 17 and following. Some of them were priests, like in 22. And some of them were people like Baruch in verse 20. Depends on your translation, but the New American Standard, it says, after him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. Now, isn't that interesting? All of them are working, all of them are repairing, but one guy zealously repairs. Now, in anything you do, there are some people who do it with more effort, more energy, more enthusiasm. And you see that. You see that in ball. I come from a basketball state. You know, you will see in basketball, even if you watch the fourth graders play or the sixth graders play, there's a kid who plays with more energy. There was, I, I watched quite a bit a year ago, the, one of the guys in the congregation was coaching his son and some others, and I think it would have been seventh grade basketball. Now, he had some really talented guys on the team. He had a couple tall guys that were good, and they knew it. He had a guy who was a pretty good shot from the outside, and he knew it. But he had a little guy who worked way harder than the others. And he was, and a couple more, he was pretty good. Then he had a couple more who worked really hard. They didn't have as much talent. But he kept them in at the end. Not the guys who were more talented. One of them really got upset about it one game. He's like, why do you always do that? You, you, you use up all my time to where I can't be in at the end. He didn't realize he was doing it purposely. Because those guys who put forth more effort, they weren't as talented. They weren't. But they were the guys coming up with the loose ball. They were the guys who were making more of a difference at the end of the game than this guy who knew he was pretty good. In anything, there are people 
who just work harder. They may not be more skilled or anything like that, but they are putting more of themselves into it, and God knows that. I mean, when you think about this list of names, ultimately God inspired the writing of this. He knew who was who. And he knew the guy who worked zealously. Now, I'm sure that person didn't get that, didn't do that so he could get his name in this book of Nehemiah that he worked zealously. He did it because he cared and he wanted to work hard. Would there be anybody here who, if, if you were in this project, the Lord would have chosen to say, and, and so-and-so zealously repaired? I just think that's encouraging. I'm glad to see that observation. There are a number of other things that are interesting in here. Did you notice verse 27? Remember the Tekoites? They were the ones that worked without their leaders. And what do they do in 27? They took another section too. Here's the group without their leaders doing double duty. Jerry up. You do. In fact, there are three Malkijas on this list. Uh, you've got him in 11, 14, and 31. I assume it's three different guys with the same name. You know, it always seems to bother us when there are people with the same name in the Bible. There's people with the same name at the camp. You know, quite a few. And, uh, you know, we don't think anything about that. We just know, well, we use a lot of the same names. They did too. Why shouldn't they? So uh, you're going to have that sometimes. Um, and so they, they begin and end the construction with the sheep gate. That's what we end with in verse 32. And this just shows you what can be done when God's people were willing to work and work together. And so they get that wall worked on. Now, we haven't seen it completed. This is just kind of the people in place working. So that, that's kind of just showing the, the, the state of the work. Now, I want you to think about, maybe I'll stop and, and ask for comments and questions, and I want to point out some more observations. Comments and thoughts on all that? Sean? I have a question. What is the angle that is talked about in like three different verses? I don't know the answer to that. Does somebody? Well, I the, the angle? What, what verse was first? Um, uh, 24, for example. 25. I kind of like to have a footnote that the turning, so maybe it was a point where the wall turned a little bit. Makes sense? Good point. <laughs> That's where you really hope it comes out. Right? Yeah, good points. Other questions or comments? I like Cameron. the fact that Esau mentioned that they're working in front of where their house is. So they're not, even if they're not able to do that much, they do what they can where they are. Really would, would there be a special value in assigning people the wall near where their house is? They'd want it done right. You sure want the wall to be strong near where your house is, right? You know, that makes a lot of sense to me that he'd have done that. Besides the fact, I guess it'd be closer for them to get to work, you know. Joe? Uh, did you talk about Aramoth and Meshulam? Uh-uh. In the verse 4, they're both mentioned. Uh, and then Aramoth is mentioned again in verse 21, working on another section. And Meshulam in verse 30, another section. Kind of like the Tech Whites. But they're both working here and working over there, just doing as much as they can. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's interesting with uh, Merrimoth in 21, you typically see people working in front of their own house. The high priest doesn't. I, I think your point is right, but I think probably 
the, the sheep gate for the sacrifices, priority is God. Somebody else does his house. Yeah. The general rule would be I'm going to do my own house, but the priority is first for the house of God. Okay, very good. Good thought. Very good. Other thoughts? If somebody had to be willing to work on the dung gate, you would think, you know, this is going to be the best dung gate to sit very good, yeah. We, we, we want that to work well. <laughs> That's good. Other thoughts? Now, think about some observations about this. I mean, obviously there are a lot of names in this, and we're not going to read all the names in Nehemiah. But I think it's really interesting in this chapter that, that the names are mentioned. God knows their names. You know, we now do, even though some of them may not mean a lot to us. I'm interested in John 10, when in verse 3, Jesus calls his sheep by name. You know, have you thought about the fact the Lord knows your name? And he has a personal connection with each of us. That's encouraging to me. Think about this. What they do, and you see this all over this first part of Nehemiah. Lots of statements about this, but it's work called work a lot of times. If you're going to get the wall built, it takes work. Sometimes we kind of shy away from that, but that's a part of what we need to be doing. It, it is work, and it took a lot of them doing the work. You know, they all worked, not just the professional carpenters. They all did what they could, and that's something we need to follow as well. And so I want you to think a minute about some applications for us from this passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. Ephesians 4 is one of my favorite passages. I have so many favorite passages, my kids always laughed at me when I said that. But Ephesians 4.11, I believe, starts a, a thought that's really helpful to us. He says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So a lot of stuff in that passage. I want to notice just a few things with you. God gave some leaders to his people. He gave apostles and prophets to reveal the message. He gave evangelists to teach the message. He gave pastors and teachers to oversee uh, brethren and to feed them spiritually. Notice there's not an extra sum in front of teachers. I think pastors and teachers refer to the same group. Pastors or teachers, that's their primary role. But, but he gave functions like that for this reason. To equip saints, Christians, to work to serve to build the body up. We might think God gave the apostles, prophets, preachers, and elders to do the work of service to build the body up. But he gave them to equip us to do the work to build up the body. And notice the emphasis again in verse 16, where he talks about every joint 
and the proper working of each individual part. The growth of the body doesn't come because there are a few leaders who do the work. The growth of the body comes because the leaders equip each part to work together. And the body grows as a result of all brethren doing what they can do and working in the body. That principle is really the concept I think you've got in Nehemiah 3. And it's something that I think we need to think about more in our own lives. Thinking about what is work I can do to help build the body. A lot of times, I think we think about being receivers, not being givers. We think about, um, are people really helping me like they should? Are they serving me well? Are they feeding me well? Am I being well treated? But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we need to have that mentality of thinking about what, where can we work on the wall? What could our role be? What are services? Not honors, you know, not places of, uh, you know, high regard. What's work that I can do in the body to help build it up? Now, if I were to have, without talking about any of this, just talked about, you know, guys, as young men, what kind of work can you be doing in your local church? What would most people answer? Pass the Lord's Supper. Yes, help pass the Lord's Supper. Do what? Mow the lawn. Mow the lawn. That's a good one. I'm thinking, what would most people say? Song lead. Leading prayers. Scripture reading. Now, what do all those have in common? They're up front. And they tend to get more of the notice. We tend to kind of focus on those things. Now, can those things be things that are helpful in serving? Yes, they can. Sometimes they might be a matter of seeking glory, but they certainly don't have to be. We can serve in those ways. But, you know, sometimes we almost leave the impression that's the main service we can do. And if that were the case, what would girls ever be? You know, they don't do those works, and yet they can be very valuable. So I'd like you to think outside of getting up in front of people. What are works of service that you can do to build the body up? Now, J.D. mentioned mowing the lawn. That's cool. Like visiting people who are older. Well, that, why would that be helpful? Okay, yeah. You know, if you're older, a lot of times you feel hot. Lonely, yeah. You, and, and, and to have somebody come and see you and encourage you, especially if you can't get out much, can be really helpful and really uplifting. And it's not a matter of trying to say some magical thing. It's just a matter of keeping company and showing the interest. Caring, that's helpful. What are other things we can do? Like, okay, all right, yeah, Ben. Uh, not only just helping and visiting people who are older, but visiting people who are younger as well. Because I know that me and my brother, we have actually set up with other younger members, like devotionals, even 
just like dates where we just go over there to do whatever. It's always encouraging to both them and us. How many of you, some of you, well, how many of you have some young men around you, either in the church where you're at or in nearby churches, that are a little bit older to you, that you really do look up to and you really would like to be like? How many of you have some people like that? Yeah. Many of us do. You have to be that. You know, to show an interest in younger people, you know, even really small people. <laughs> you know, do you know the names of the two-year-olds and the four-year-olds and the six-year-olds that you're around? And do you give them attention? That's helpful. It's encouraging to them. You know, that a big guy knows your name and actually wants to talk to you. By the time they get eight or ten, a lot of times you can have really good conversations. I mean, they're not stupid. They can, they can be encouraged and, and, and would be very uplifted by your showing an interest in them. What are other things we can do? A lot of times, a lot of uh, younger people who may not come very much or who are visiting, uh, it means a lot more to them when someone their age comes up to them as opposed to like a preacher. Yeah, if you're talking about like a worship service or even like a camp like this or like a special singing or event or whatever, have you ever gone somewhere to something like that and you didn't know hardly anybody? How do you feel? Out of place. Out of place. Awkward. Yeah, don't we all? Kind of like, hmm, I don't know if I even, I want to do this, but I feel kind of insecure. You know, I mean, like, you don't really know if you fit in, how you're supposed to act. You don't know if anybody really speak to you. That's awkward. To me, it's awkward. Well, you know what happens a lot of times? Even, you come to a camp like this. You know, yesterday. There were some new people. There were a lot of people who'd been here before who knew a lot of people. So the people who know a lot of people, oh, they're just talking to each other, so glad to see each other, blah, 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 blah. And what about the new guys? You know, kind of off there in the corner, well, I don't know, do I put in, you know, is anybody going to talk to me, you know, whatever. Really reaching out and really giving of ourselves. It's awkward for us when we reach out to talk to some new guy. That's not so easy. It's not very easy for me. But it needs to be done. It's something we can do. We don't have to push ourselves and force ourselves. That's helpful. A lot of good things. What are some other things we can do? Scott? Spending time with new converts. Spending time with new converts. That can be very encouraging. And you know, sometimes young people think, well, if I spend time with them, they won't really like that. They won't really be helpful. I'm so young. There's a lot of times that you have a special opportunity to encourage because people feel like if a young person takes an interest, visits, spends time with, encourages, that they're more sincere. An older person has come what they're supposed to do. A young person who does it is often seen as doing it because they really want to, and it's encouraging. Absolutely. Sean? No, it doesn't apply to everybody, but for me, I have younger siblings, and it's really easy to go talk to all the other people, but to really get involved with them. And sure. Help them. Amen. You've got younger siblings... How you treat them is how they're going to feel about themselves to a great extent. And you're really caring about them, working hard not to put them down, and trying to help them first. Yeah, no. Help the other moms in the church with their little children. Excellent idea. 
you know, I mean, guys sometimes can babysit. Or, or you and your sister can go and babysit or whatever. Sometimes that can be really helpful to a young mother or whatever. Or, or you know, just go over and, and even while they're there, maybe play with them or whatever can be encouraging. You've all got different situations. You know what all these things have in common? You're thinking about other people and thinking, what do they need? How can I help them? What do we usually think about? Me. What do I want? What do I like? How are people doing for me? We've got to get our mind off of ourselves and thinking about others and what we can do to serve and help and how we can be involved with them. So that's what, you, what, that's what I get out of Nehemiah 3 is everybody working together, everybody finding a role and, and doing things that may not even be comfortable because we want to get the job done. And uh, so it's, it's an encouraging chapter along that line. Are there other comments or questions you've got before we quit? Joe? Um, what sort of lesson would you see in Malchijah in verse 11? His name is listed also in Ezra 10 that the wives. Right. Yeah, I mentioned that. that oh, sorry, yeah, that's fine. But yeah, that he uh, looks to me like he's kind of redeemed himself. You know, he put away his wife. And he went on to actually do something, you know, encouraging and helping with the wall. So I agree with that. I think that's interesting. Justin. You know, talk about reading lists of names and it's, you know, really helpful or not. Because they're all people we don't know and we're just pronouncing their names. And, you know. um, I think about Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about giving to those who are in need and not sending a trumpet because your father who sees the secret will report you. God sees these people, and he notices them, and so it's important that they be recorded for us, maybe just perhaps to show us that he sees us, uh, that he notices each of us when we're doing these things, we're thinking about all these good things we can do, but maybe they does anybody even notice that we're not Sure, great point. All right, well, I think our time is up, but thank you for listening to that, and I'll look forward to uh, looking at some more of Nehemiah tomorrow, I think, Joe. Thank you.